From Community Public Radio, this is the CPR News. From New York, I'm Don DeBar. Today we go to Esteli in Nicaragua to speak with journalist Stephen Sefton. We're going to get an update on what's been going on in Central and South America and the Caribbean. Uh, Stephen, it's a pleasure to speak with you as always. Thanks, Don. Yeah, and, uh, as usual, there's always far too much to try and catch up on, but maybe a good place to start is the recent effort by the United States government, especially in the current context of the economic war that they're waging against Russia, um, to try and uh, improve its relations with Venezuela to the point where they, they, they'll be able to buy um, Venezuelan crude that can be processed in the refineries in the Gulf, in the southern United States, that were originally built in order to process some um, Venezuelan crude, right? Which uh, used to be like, what what was Venezuela before. In years past, it was the kind of fourth uh, most important uh, provider of, of of crude to the United States, something like that. Yep. And then, as a result of all the sanctions against um, Venezuela by the United States and its insistence that Venezuela represented a, a a, a serious threat to the um, national security of the United right. States. Despite the the, the hostility uh, of the United States towards Venezuela, the sanctions that they've imposed that have pretty much amounted to uh, military aggression in many cases. There was that case of um, uh, a group of U.S. mercenaries that were captured by, by the Venezuelans and attempting some harebrained scheme to kidnap um, President Nicolas Maduro. What was that about a year, eighteen months ago? Yeah. Um, there was that, and the, the drone was, strike they tried to assassinate yeah, him at a yeah. some event, and, and of course there was the coup when they tried to uh, basically they they seized power from Hugo Chavez back in two thousand two. That took him for a helicopter ride, and he said he thought they were going to kill him. And if it wasn't for the people rescuing the state from the uh, coosters, they may well have killed him. Yeah, and, and uh, Hugo Chavez, thank heaven, survived that and yep. um, led Venezuela uh, very successfully to the, the best levels of um, social and economic progress in its history. Yep. And then uh, uh, following um, Hugo Chavez's tragic death in 2013, many people think he was uh, murdered, murdered. Yep. by the CIA. Um, the Subsequent to that, the United States has progressively increased its uh, aggression against Venezuela, using economic sanctions of all kinds, using uh, sabotage of the electrical grid on numerous occasions, yep. um, making it practically impossible for Venezuela to get spare parts to maintain its oil refining capacity. And despite all this very, very severe aggression, also um, hijacking, sequestering uh, Venezuelan assets like the um, the Venezuelan state oil company's Sitgo subsidiary in the United States, yep. um, working with the British Bank of England and the authorities in, in the United Kingdom to sequester around $4 billion worth of um, Venezuelan gold. Right. <laughs> and all, all, all those measures, despite all those measures, and Venezuela is actually, it's actually, uh, its economy is recovering, 
It's doing better economically than it has done for at least four or five years now. Um, its oil refining capacity is, um, uh, it, it is, is pretty much back to normal. They're increasing their oil production thanks to support from um, the Islamic Republic of Iran. So and the, in, in, it's in, this, in that context of Venezuela's def, definite um, and marked economic recovery, despite everything that the United States and its European Union allies um, have done to Venezuela. And it's then. in that context that <laughs> the United States is now uh, engaging in uh, uh, some attempt at rapprochement to try and get access to uh, Venezuelan crude again. Let, let me just let me just say this in plain terms, <clears throat> summarizing everything you just said because all of that is ab absolutely factually correct. You have, in essence, Uncle Sam going down to see uh, President Maduro and the Venezuelan people. By the way, um, saying, "Look, I've been trying for about mm, twenty years to kill you." to starve you to death, to make you succumb, to make you a colony again. I've tried everything I can to make your life as miserable as possible. So, and against that, you've managed to get by and actually do very well for yourself. Well, there's somebody else we want to do that to now. We want to try to kill them and strangle them and starve them and stuff. Can you help us? I mean, that's right. what's going on, basically. How, do, how can yeah. you answer that question when you're there? Well, and, and, the, 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 and, we, and we discussed this in, in earlier conversations, haven't we? And the, the, the nitty-gritty from the point of view of President Nicolas Maduro will be what is in the best interest of the people of Venezuela. That's right. And so, you know, and, and the, he, he and his team will look at the, um, this visit from the U.S. State Department. They've already made a, a, a significant concession by releasing... Uh, I think it's they released them yesterday, and the two individuals are now back in the United States. Two United States citizens, a guy called Gustavo Cardenas, and another guy called Jorge Fernandez. Cardenas was um, arrested, uh, I think, a couple of years ago, um, because he, along with some other uh, senior executives of the Citgo subsidiary of Venezuela's state oil company PDVSA, um, they what they get they engaged in uh, uh, what was a sent from the point of view of the Venezuelan authorities was an I an illegal decision to allow Sitco to be put up as collateral for some financial transaction and that was not authorized by um, the Venezuelan authorities and that, and pretty much amounted to uh, a fraud on Venezuela's on the Venezuelan state and the Venezuelan people. Theft. And what what sub subsequently happened as a result was that the United States uh, authorities uh, were a and 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 their judicial accomplices were able to take on board uh, a spurious case against the Venezuelan state. And thanks to that earlier decision by. Gustavo Cardenas and his accomplices, they were able to sequester all of Sitco, which is an yep. extremely valuable um, asset of the, of, the, of the Venezuelan state, but of, yep. that operates in the United States. And so in the other case, Jorge Fernandez, um, he, he was accused of terrorism. I'm not sure 
uh, in which in particular incident he was involved, but he, he was one of numerous um, US citizens that have been involved in very serious terrorist incidents um, in Venezuela over the last three, four, five years. And uh, he, he, he too has now been released along with Cardenas, presumably as a gesture of goodwill by the Venezuelan authorities in the context of the current talks. Now, I've got to ask that, you something you know, else will, about Will this. that lead, for Sorry. example, to the liberation of Alex Saar, who, who, yeah. who truly is unjustly detained right. by the United States authorities? Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point, too. On the, on the earlier point, um, isn't it curious that particularly the Sitco case, the, the litigation and you know, that ended up in the seizure here, rests upon one essential leg of that, is the legal status in the United States of Juan Guaido as president of Venezuela. This fiction that, it's a, you know, we had the fiction of Taiwan as China that w lasted from 1949 until 1972, that we've had some other, like, big whoppers that they pass off as, you know, reality. But Juan Guaido, as the uh, president of Venezuela, can sign a check or a deed to a pile of gold or whatever, and the courts here withstand that. So why didn't they go meet with him and ask him for the oil? Well, right, exactly. I know mean, that that's a, an obvious question. That you know, I mean, what is a U.S. delegation doing going to talk with um, somebody that they regard as the, uh, an illegitimate uh, figure in, right. in, in in terms of the Venezuelan authorities, Nicolas right. Maduro? Yeah. They claim Juan Guaido is the, the legitimate president. And so why didn't they go, as you say, why didn't they go and talk to Guaido? You get some because of his Guaido, oil. <laughs> Guaido controls nothing. Yeah, that, and so, uh, you know, that, and that, there, there's that fundamental stupidity that, of course, yep. none of the uh, mainstream North American or European media... They're not covering it at all. Nobody raised it at all. Maybe Tucker Carlson will. That'll be it. Right. So, I, but I, the you know we we, we we the the main thing that we need to bear in mind is that uh, Nicolas Maduro and his government colleagues are going to decide how best to deal with that, and they've always said that they want good relations with the United States as they do with every other nation, um in in that that you know that that they have rela international relations with, and um so, and it's very likely it's not unlikely at all. And I'd say it's very likely that we'll see some kind of negotiated deal whereby the United States and its allies make some concessions to Venezuela in terms of what they've stolen from the country um, uh, in, in, and in return are allowed to get back uh, some uh, level of supply of Venezuelan crude for their domestic refineries. But, I'm the, you know, I'm the, I'm the, 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 what... When, when we look at that negotiation, I mean, obviously we have no idea how much, how much there was of carrot, like, well, we can make all these concessions in order to relax the illegal coercive measures that we've applied against your, you and you, your country and your people for the last five, six, seven years. Um, uh, how much, how much of, of there was of carrot and how much there was of stick do what we want or else you know and so and we we have no idea of, of, of the mix of uh seduction and and, and threats 
that, that were made in those talks. And I, I, um, I, I'm a pessimist in, in, in that regard. And I think that it's very likely that the United States may well have made very serious threats, not of necessarily of direct United States military aggression stemming out of Southern Command, yeah. but and they they could have said, well, and you wouldn't want your events on the Colombian border to get much worse now, right, would you? Right, right, right. You know, and, and the, so you know, and the, let's see what happens refuse. because currently it's very very clear that um, the United States has been using um, the Colombian military and the 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 uh, narco-terror paramilitaries in Colombia that are closely allied with the Colombian military and many of whom have been trained by the United States over many, many, many years. Right. Um, it's very clear that the United States is using that phenomenon of uh, Colombian hostility and aggression along Venezuela's very, very long frontier with, with Colombia. Colombia to put pressure on on Venezuela um, to do what it wants, and so let's let's see what happens with with regard to that. But it's likely that there will be a deal. And well, you know, as we were discussing, I think over the weekend, um, this uh, as we heard that it was going to happen. Honestly, I mean, so you Venezuela has had good relations with Russia, with Iran, with China all targets of these U.S. sanctions. And again, it seems that the, these, uh, you know, some deal they're trying to make would be to try to mitigate the effects of Russia responding to American sanctions with sanctioning their own oil. And, um, you know, when we were talking about it, it seems like, you know, these people are all grown-ups. And my guess, I said, I think I said this to you, I said, my, my guess is that if, if they talk to Russia, you know, to Xi or, or Putin or, or Iran's leaders or whomever, they're, they're going to say, take the money. Take oh, the yeah. money. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and, and I think that's absolutely right because yep. I mean, their, their overriding criterion will be what is in the best interests of the people of Venezuela. That's right. And obviously what's in the best interests of the people of Venezuela is to if they can achieve some reduction in the illegal coercive measures applied against the country, then they'll they'll do that. Yeah. And then they're certainly not going to stand on their pride um, uh, in, in a way that's going to negatively affect the best interests of their people. Yeah. So and we'll, we'll see what happens about that. And that and, but all of that, of course, is taking place in the context that you mentioned yeah. of... Um, United States, uh, Biden's war on, on Russia. And I think we have to talk about it in those terms. I mean, the, in terms of, uh, let, let's not get drawn into discussing the, the events in, in Ukraine, but I mean, essentially right. what Russia did was act in self-defense, right. which is in, it is entirely entitled to do yep. um, under Article 51 of the UN Charter. And so... Uh, Oh, and they, they were responding to U.S. and allied aggression. Hey, look, I got an idea. Let's start restart the Warsaw Pact, and let's invite Nicaragua to join. And uh, Russia would like to place a military base, uh, maybe a couple of bioweapon labs like we found uh, that they have spread around Ukraine, the U.S. has spread around Ukraine. Uh, right. You know, some other, um, uh, you know, assets, military assets. Um, they're not they're, they're not a threat to anybody. These are totally defensive in nature. Um, no problem. The U.S. shouldn't have anything to worry about. How, 
they would pulverize Central America just to make right. an example out of it. Yeah, shock and door. Yeah, shock so, yeah. and buy. I mean, it would be <laughs> that's how yeah. crazy they are. Yeah. So I and, and, and uh, so I, I think we do need uh, to to look about uh, uh, what's happened recently in Venezuela with this uh, attempted rapprochement by the United States right. in the context of uh, the effects on Latin America and the Caribbean overall of events in the Ukraine and the Western economic war, which is going to have very, very serious effects on the world economy, obviously. Um, so and what's likely to happen in, in um, Latin America? Well, uh, the, the region was already struggling to recover from the um, largely self-inflicted effects of the measures many governments in the region took against COVID-19. Mm. And for example, in neighboring Colombia, mm. um, poverty is now up around um, 21 people, the number of people living in poverty in Colombia is up around 21 million now, which is around 45% of Colombia's population. Amazing. And unemployment there, the official figure is up around 13%. So uh, the, that that's that was the state before the uh, uh, the events in Ukraine and the reper repercussions, the economic repercussions that are likely to flow from that. Yep. Now, so there there are, there are going to be uh, negative effects and, and positive effects, and because Latin America is mainly a region that exports raw materials. So in if if commodities prices go through the roof even more than they have done already and what's the price of uh, the price of oil at the moment uh, in West West Texas Intermediate is up and it was like 130 a barrel the day before yesterday maybe I, maybe it's a million now who knows it's, no, no, it's I, more than yeah, five hours a gallon at the pump here it, it's it's uh, yeah so and, and, that, and that's the important thing what what is the price of uh, oil and, and uh, petroleum products um that people actually use in from day to day, and that's that's going to have a very serious effect on inflation in the region because everything is all goods in Latin America are shipped around by truck just as they are everywhere else, and so if if transport costs go up, which they must do, then that means that the costs of uh, day to day goods, basic basic uh, foodstuffs and so on, is going is going to increase. In a context in which uh, poverty has already increased across increased across the region because of the so-called pandemic, mm. so there, there, there's that um, aspect to it, and it's true that the uh, the um, foreign currency balances of Latin America and the Caribbean, and, and look at the price of nickel, for example, and Cuba. I think both. Cuba and, and Jamaica, and, and I'm not sure about other Caribbean countries, they, they both export nickel. Um, I think uh, Jamaica is a, an important uh, exporter of bauxite for aluminium. So the fact that all those, all those commodities prices are, are, are going to go through the roof will be very positive in overall GDP terms for yeah. um, the economies of Latin America and the Caribbean. But the, 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 the the effects on the living standards in terms of price inflation right. for the impoverished majority right. in the region are going to be very bad. Yeah, when when uh, you, I'm looking at the WTI uh, price uh, 
for the last three months, the low point, this is uh, West Texas, uh, uh, at, uh, this, on December 1st of last year, it was around uh, 63 $64 a barrel. And today it was uh, so far right now it's one hundred and fifteen dollars and ninety seven cents. Um, it opened at one hundred and twenty four sixty six this morning. So and it's you know it's been skating between one hundred and fifteen and one hundred and thirty for the last couple of days. It's doubled since December first. Yeah. yeah, and if you look at wheat prices, I, wheat mean, I think also. they've quadrupled. I so mean, the cost it, of transporting anything doubled. And the cost of bread and other like actual food that people have to eat um, also almost doubled. Well, and wheat has quadrupled in its price at least. Oh, oh, oh! Sorry, yeah, okay, and it's even so, worse. So, and add add that in to the extra transport costs, you know, and so and what's that going to do to the price of bread? I mean, people have been like, saying about Europe for a year or two now that people are having to choose between eating and staying warm. And now it's getting to a point where they're not going to be able to afford to do either one. Right. So I'm what, what that, I'm, it's up to the Europeans what they decide to make of that That's and right. do about it. That's but right. in terms of Latin America... Well, you got an election. The, <laughs> the, the, situation, the situation for the impoverished majority across the region, especially, you see, because a lot of the region is, is not very food self-sufficient. And Venezuela right. has done made huge strides in that regard, and I think they're up around 75-80% food self-sufficiency now yep. in Venezuela, yep. which is a huge achievement. Um, in Nicaragua, is around 90% yep. food self-sufficient. I mean, these are lessons that people learned from Cuba because they tried to starve Cuba, and so Cuba said, we'll grow our own food, and they did very well, actually. Right. So, I'm, so in, in terms of uh, food prices here in Nicaragua, for example, or food prices in Venezuela, there's likely to be some inflation, but the basic, um, the basic foodstuffs that people are like here in Nicaragua, it's rice and beans and maize. So and they're maize, maize tortillas. So and they, and that, and that is the, the, the staple diet. So that, yeah. that is not going to be badly affected here in Nicaragua. But what's going to happen in countries like Chile or Argentina or Uruguay, you know, where, 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 they're, not, where they're nowhere near food self-sufficient. Right. Yeah. Um, so and, uh, we can, ex we can ex there's likely to be great political instability across uh, Latin America uh, as, as, as price inflation bites. And the the, the, the the failure of uh, the the governments in the region to be able to meet their people's needs becomes more and more apparent. And the, what that that's likely to increase the likelihood of a, an electoral win for Lula da Silva in Brazil this November. Um, I think it's November. It might be October, but I mean, it's later in the year. But that in that context will will be good for Lula because he he has a reputation of um, caring for the interests of the country's impoverished majority. So that's right. And so and and any any political leader that is, is that has that kind of profile, any political movement that has that kind of profile, is likely to do very well in 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 any elections that are taking place uh, over the year. And maybe that brings up, maybe we should start talking about the legislative elections that are likely to take place, that are, sorry, like scheduled okay. to take place on um, March 13th. Yep. 
Yeah, we got uh, seven minutes now. Okay, so I'm, I'm that, that, uh, as I said earlier, Colombia has not done very well over the last couple of years as, as a result of its poor response in managing the, um, the, the issue of COVID-19 and its effects on the population. So they, as, as I said, they, you've got something like 45% of the population living in poverty, but a relatively high level of unemployment at around 12.5-13%, something like that. Um, and so the, the, the elections are taking place in a very unfavorable context for the, um, uh, the, the party of the, the, of, of the government. Um, uh, the right-wing party of, of Ivan Duque and its allies. Um, so, uh, but that, you know, in theory, it, it's very difficult to say how the legislative elections are going to go. The presidential elections happen later in May, in May on May 29th. And the, all the signs are that, especially in the context that you and I have just been discussing, um, the kind of social democrat kind of progressive uh, figure of Gustavo Petro is likely to do very well and, and win that presidential election. But it's much more difficult to say what's going to happen in the, in, in the legislative elections on the 13th because the situation is so very, very complicated. And the, 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 the electoral system itself is complicated in, um, in Colombia. And, uh, and I think I sent you some notes covering the, 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 the different complications. But there, there, yes. there, there, there's a plethora of political parties taking part. Um, the, they're, uh, elect, what are they electing? They're electing something like 102 senators out of, uh, I think it's 108 in total. And they're electing something like 162 representatives to the lower house. Yeah. which I think is also called the House of Representatives in Colombia, mm. same as in the United States, out of a total of 188 right. um, representatives. And so the, the, there, are three main, there are three main political groupings. There's the grouping called the Pacto Historico, the Historical Pact, which is a, a group of the political allies of, of Gustavo Petro. Um, there's a group called the uh, Center for Hope, which is a group of more uh, cent centrist, maybe I, I describe them as centre-right um, yes. uh, parties that in the Colombian political context are regarded as moderates. Yeah. And then you have the more extreme grouping. Radical um, change. The, a team for Colombia, uh, which is uh, the, uh, a grouping of right-wing parties. Right. Now, the, those coalitions as such, some of those coalitions are running as the as coalitions and some of uh, some of the the political parties that make up those uh, coalitions are running independently of the coalition so it, that makes the 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 the, uh, the 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 list of candidates for those elections very difficult to to assess it's it, but it's absolutely fundamental if there's going to be any change in colombia for there to be a significant uh, re, uh, a significant reallocation of seats in the new legislative assembly, and the extent to which the the right wing parties, the Liberal Party of uh, former President Juan Manuel Santos, for example, the party of um, the Unity Party of uh, 
narco-terror former president Alvaro Uribe, and those, the, if those right-wing parties manage to hold on to their vote, they're, 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 it, most commentators think that they'll lose um, something like 10 to 15 seats in the Senate and a, and a corresponding number of seats in the House of Representatives. And that will be a very significant change in the Colombian political context. But if it doesn't happen, then it'll just be business as usual for, for the next uh, four or five years, no matter who wins the presidency, because whoever wins the presidency, if, if the legislature maintains its current composition, whoever wins the, um, the presidency will be unlikely to be able to readily implement whatever political program they have. And I think that, that, that actually mm. mentioning that, that is a point worth noting. If you look at the the proposals of those candidates, well, there aren't any. And right. they'll say that, 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 that they're vaguely anti-corruption and that they'll, they, you know, that, that they'll, they'll make vague them the, in the vaguest possible terms, they, they make political commitments. A chicken in every sun. pot. One or other thing that favours their constituency, but they don't have a national development plan. And if you look at Honduras right. or if you look at Nicaragua, why has why was the Amara Castro successful in Honduras? She presented a national development plan. Right. This is what so, we're going to do. We're running out of time, so we got to stop here. But we'll get the election results after the election on the thirteenth, and we will speak with you again next week. Okay, you're very welcome, Don. Thanks for having me. Thank you too. And that's all the news we have for you right now. For Community Public Radio, I'm Don DeBar in New York. Thanks for listening.